I've invited Madison to come read our scripture text this morning. I think it's really important that we hear different voices and different ways uh, of hearing the gospel. And so I'm going to turn it over to her. And then maybe if you want to preach, you can preach as well afterwards. But Hello. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger for thirst and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are prosecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you people when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they prosecuted the prophets who were here before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Will you pray with me just one more time? God, we want to hear your word this morning. And so give us ears to hear, O oh God. We need your grace. But give us perhaps strength of character and courage of heart to become followers of Jesus that you are calling us to be. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen, amen. There is a phenomenon known as spatial disorientation that pilots can have when their vision is hindered by clouds or fog. When pilots find themselves in the clouds, their senses can give them inaccurate sensations of their direction or their position in the sky. They might feel like they're flying straight, but really they're kind of turning over to the right. They might feel like they're ascending when they're actually descending. They might feel sometimes like they're going to the left and they're actually flying straight or banked to the left or right. And this sort of spatial disorientation for pilots can lead to just catastrophic disasters. You can read about the stories. When you cannot see, it's really difficult for you to navigate the right path and the right trajectory and right direction in the sky. But the best counter to sort of spatial disorientation for a pilot is to learn to trust their instrumentation, to trust their instrumentation. It's the instrumentation that tells them that they're descending even though they feel like they're ascending. It's instrumentation in the cockpit that tells them they're flying straight even though it feels like they're going to the right or to the left. It's instrumentation that keeps them on the right trajectory, even though they might feel like they're on the wrong trajectory. And as people, we sometimes can become disoriented in our own lives, right? We know this. We might feel and we might be convinced that the direction that we're traveling in life is the right one. This is the right way to go. And it feels right and it it seems right. And yet, as we travel along that path, we, we get this sense that there's something catastrophic that's about to happen because we're moving in the wrong direction. That, oh, we felt like we're going in the right direction. We were going in the wrong direction all along. We might think that there's values that we hold are the right values to have. 
And so we, we utilize them and allow them to affect our decision-making because it feels like the right thing to do. The problem is so often, and many of us know this, is that our values and our sense of what feels right is not always right. And, and whether, whether you're a young person, whether you're a middle-aged person, whether you're an old person, the thing that we often need to wrestle with in life is, is how do we tell if we're oriented properly in the world? How do I know if my life is going in the right direction? How do I know that this relationship that I'm pursuing, although it feels right, it actually is right? How do I know that this group of friends that I'm trying to get along with is the right group of friends for me to fit in with? Is there a career path, a retirement plan, a certain set of values that feels right to you and you're wondering, is that actually the right thing for me to be doing in my life? Sometimes it feels like we're upright and straight, but we're upside down and moving in the wrong direction, right? And when it comes to navigating our lives, we all have to decide something. And that something is this. It's what's the instrumentation that keeps you properly oriented? What's the instrumentation that keeps you properly oriented in this life? That regardless of your circumstance, regardless of how you feel about the direction that your life is going, what is that thing? What is the instrumentation that allows you to know, although things around me seem like they're going horribly, I'm moving in the right direction in my life? And the good news for you sitting in this room this morning is this, that there is instrumentation available to us to help course correct our lives, to help us know if we're oriented in the right direction, even when it doesn't feel like we're oriented in the right direction, to assure us, whether it feels like it or not, that we're moving down a path that's ultimately going to end to a full and fulfilling life. And so many ways for the community of faith, for the church, the Sermon on the Mount is that instrumentation. It's the thing that we can look at and study and dig in and know whether or not we as a church are oriented in the right direction. If you, as a Jesus-following disciple, are oriented in the right direction in your faith. And proper understanding of this, this famous, famous sermon can help us understand if we as a church are, are flying upright in the right direction. And an improper understanding of this Sermon on the Mount, though... <laughs> can often keep us moving in wrong directions, and we might be disoriented. We didn't even know it. And this morning, we're looking at the, the sermon's introduction, that is known as the Beatitudes, which helps give us this sort of big picture of what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, right? The Beatitudes come to us, they kind of give us the vision of what Jesus is trying to invite us into as a way of life, and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount sort of fills out how we go about fulfilling and pursuing this way of life. But we have to understand the vision properly if we're going to understand the rest of it. If you're at all familiar with the Beatitudes, you might be like me, and you kind of get warm feelings as you listen to the Beatitudes, right? Many of us know them right? Many of us might be able to recite many of these Beatitudes. We've seen them or, ornately printed on bookmarks and fashionably hung on wall decors, but our familiarity with them is the very thing that makes them very unfamiliar to us, right? For example, why do we say blessed for the word blessed in the Beatitudes? We don't say that anywhere else for the word blessed in all of the Bible, Right? When someone sneezes, you don't say, God blessed you. You just say, God blessed you, right? When someone asks how you're doing, you don't say, blessed, 
You just say blessed, right? It's just, that's just what you say. When you post a photo on Instagram, you don't go hashtag blessed. Oh, that's difficult because it's like a written word. You say hashtag blessed or whatever it is, right? We just don't speak this way with the word blessed anywhere else. But why do we do it here? Have you ever even pondered that question? Why do we say blessed here? But what even is a beatitude? That word isn't found in the text at all, right? Where do we, what does that word even mean? Where do we get that from? Is that an English word? Is it a Greek word? Where does that come from? You see, there's, there's some things when we really sit back and think about it, something that seems so familiar is actually really unfamiliar to us, right? And, and each of these beatitudes, it begins with this word blessed or blessed, depending on how you want to say the word, I guess. And, and some of them seem to be logical and they fit within our understanding of what it means to be a blessed person. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And this makes sense to us, right? It makes sense that somebody who is making peace and doing the right thing, they should be blessed or considered a blessed person. But some of the Beatitudes, they make less sense. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. How are people blessed when they cry their hearts out because of suffering and brokenness? How are people blessed when they are insulted and abused for their faith within a community? See, and it's this word blessed, blessed, beatitude. Beatitude is a Latin word, by the way, of the word blessed. If you're like, what does that mean? But it's this word blessed that's so critical for us to understand if we're going to properly understand the Beatitudes or these statements of Jesus. As one author I read this week said, on this one word, the entire passage stands. And from this one word, the whole list hangs. Get this word right, the rest falls into place. Get it wrong, and the whole thing falls apart. What does it mean for us to be blessed? To be blessed in the biblical sense was to be someone who enjoys God's favor. To be blessed is to enjoy God's favor. That is, to be blessed isn't about being in just a favorable circumstance per se in this sort of generic sense. It is to be in a circumstance that God finds favorable. You see, we use this word blessed to describe all sorts of things that we consider to be favorable, that, that we consider to be a circumstance that's desirable. Got a promotion. How are you doing this week? Ah, oh, I'm blessed, Right? How are your kids doing? Oh, they're doing great. Just got a new job. Oh, they're blessed, right? There's all these things that we use to describe as blessed, but in the biblical sense, it's not what we think is favorable. In the biblical sense, to be blessed is to, to be in a circumstance, in a place that God finds favorable. And yet, this list of who God blesses, it doesn't align so often with what we consider to be the people and the circumstances that God would bless, right? <laughs> the Beatitudes invite me to sort of reconsider who are the ones that enjoy God's favor? Who are the ones that enjoy God's blessing? In my mind, so often, the ones that I believe God blesses, the one that I believe that God has favor upon are those who read their Bibles daily, right? They are the ones who attend church regularly all the time. They're the ones that could recount to you, you know, all of the books of the Bible in order. They can even tell you how many books are in the Bible. They might even pray regularly. 
right? They might do all of the right things and be sort of innocent in their life, right? We have this notion of who are the types of people that God blesses, and yet this passage comes to us this morning, and it doesn't describe religious activity. It doesn't describe sort of knowledge. It's a very different kind of list, and it leaves me questioning, questioning or offering a very real and personal question. According to Jesus, am I included in the list of those who are blessed by God? You read the Beatitudes, and it leaves you wondering, am I blessed by God? In fact, even in Jesus' day, this was the question that the people of God asked themselves regularly. Who are the ones that are blessed by God? Who are the ones that are blessed by God? And one of the common thoughts in Jewish thought in Jesus' day was that the ones who were blessed by God were those who observed Jewish religious law. They followed all the rules, dressed the part, played the part. They did all of the things that they were supposed to do, right? The Sunday morning Christians, they were there. But it's striking, it is striking to me. The differences of what I often think God blesses, what the religious folks of Jesus' day thought God blesses, and the list that actually comes to us. But the reason why this is such an important question, who does God bless, was because there was this thought in Jesus' day that the people that God blessed would inherit, this is key, we're going to go under the water here real quick, so hold your breath, we're going to plunge into the depths of biblical thought and theology, but we'll come out the other side and we'll be able to breathe easy, right? But there was this thought in Jesus' day is the blessed ones would inherit what was known as the kingdom of God. You see, in Jewish thought, they conceived of time as operating in two distinct eras. There is the era that we live in now that is marked by sin and corruption and evil and injustice. In, in, in that time period, it was ruled by the Roman Empire, right? And, but there is this second era that they thought would come into the world at some point. There was a future era that would not, would not be marked by any of those things. Instead, this future era would be marked by peace and justice and love and health and healing. And this future era would be established by God and governed and ruled by God, not by some sort of worldly empire or government. And the shorthand way of talking about this future era was the kingdom of God. We think of it oftentimes as like going to heaven, that there will be this other time period in which God will rule supremely. That is the time when God turns swords into plowshares, according to Isaiah, when justice would roll down like mighty waters in Amos, and when there would be no more mourning or crying or pain or death we get from John in Revelation. And the thought was this, that those who were blessed by God would be granted entrance into the kingdom of God. That those who were blessed by God would one day enjoy the future kingdom of God in the world. Imagine an illustration to help you out maybe a little bit with this. Imagine the audition of a school play or musical, right? Everyone has their expectations of what directors are looking for in specific parts and roles they give it the best in their audition, and all they're hoping for is that they're going to make the cast, right? I just want to make the list. I don't want to get cut. And the question of who is blessed by God is intimately tied to this thing of who's going to make the list. 
who is getting into the kingdom of God and who's not getting into the kingdom of God, right? That's the, that's the list that none of us want to be a part of. And the striking, striking thing about the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus announces is that it's not just this future reality that's going to happen way out over there sometime, but it's something that is happening in the world today, right now. This future kingdom, this future thing that we thought was going to happen breaks into the world through the person of Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was playing basketball with uh, some of our neighbors in our apartment complex. And as one of our neighbors, his name is Xander, was going up for a, a, a layup, I aggressively, aggressively swatted the ball out of his hand. You are not scoring on me. And after my impressive block shot that sent the ball about 20 yards away, I felt pretty big about myself. And I gave him the Matumbo finger, and I was like, not in my house. No, 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 no. Right? And Xander looked at me, and he was totally puzzled. And he asked me, what does that mean? <laughs> Xander is a four-year-old boy. But it's the... <laughs> It's the only way that I could sort of get my athletic prowess, you know, to be dominant in the world today, <laughs> dominating Levi's little friends in our apartment complex. And I kind of laughed at Xander's question as I was sort of stumped of how do you explain this sort of basketball idiom, not in my house, to a four-year-old in a way that they would understand it. And the puzzled look on his face quickly transferred to my own as I stumbled through it. And I tried to explain it. I was like, well, you see, Xander... You know, when someone comes over to your house, they have to like follow your rules, right? And so when I say, and I express not in my house, what I'm saying is the basketball court is kind of like my house. And in my house, you aren't allowed to score. Only I'm allowed to score. And he looked at me and he just said, but we're not in your house. And I'm like, oh. concrete thinker. Your house is upstairs. <laughs> and his logic, it was impenetrable, right? I mean... And so I, I continued to stumble through trying to explain this sort of athletic idiom to him. And my confusion and his confusion only ever grew. And his mom was standing right there. She's a good friend of ours, trying to hold in her laughter as her laughter as she's watching this whole thing. And she just, she, when she realized that I couldn't dig any deeper in this whole of explanation, she just said, Xander, it just means Mr. Aaron made a good play. And he said, oh, okay, that makes sense. And we went on playing basketball. And... I love dominating the little kids. It does make me feel good. I know it shouldn't. I know it shouldn't, but there's something where you're like, yeah, I was still, I'm still awesome. I'm still awesome. <laughs> Not in my house. It's one of those, it's one of these key ideas that we have to grasp if we're going to understand the Sermon on the Mount and what it's all about and how the future breaks into the present, right, in the kingdom of God. You see, the future hope that God would one day eradicate sin and injustice and violence and sickness and death and overthrow the powers of evil in the world is happening in and through Jesus. You see, so often in our minds of the scriptures, we think, oh no, the kingdom of God, it's that thing upstairs. This isn't God's house. This isn't God's world. And what Jesus comes and proclaims is that although we're in the courtyard and this isn't actually Aaron's house, this isn't actually God's world, is what Jesus proclaims to us is that, in fact, the world as it is right now, this is God's world. This is God's house. And it may not look like it. It may not feel like it. But through Jesus, the good news is this, that we can live into the realities of the kingdom of God here and now and not just hope that it will happen one day. 
God's house isn't upstairs somewhere. God's rule has entered the world through the person of Jesus. And the ones who have entered the kingdom of God, the blessed ones, can have hope because the foretaste, they can have a foretaste now of what God will do in, its fullness, in his fullness later. You see, the words, the words of Jesus's, the first words of Jesus' ministry come to us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He says this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's this announcement that the kingdom of God that you've been hoping for in the future, it's been thrust into the present. And the, the second proclamation of Jesus' ministry are the Beatitudes. It's an announcement of who can enter the kingdom of God now. Who can enter this kingdom that has come near into the very present? And only when we get this can we begin to understand what the Beatitudes are all about and what they have to do with us in Ventura, California in 2019, right? So, but even as I read the Beatitudes, I realize that I have some preconceived ideas of who is blessed, right? I come to this and I have this image of what, what these Beatitudes and what these statements are all about. And when we dig into what these ideas meant to Matthew and to Jesus, we might be a bit surprised as to who belongs in the kingdom of God now. Who are the blessed ones amidst our sort of community here? And I want to just work through each of these Beatitudes and give you what I believe Matthew and Jesus are trying to declare to us who are those who can enter the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. My preconceived notion is someone who is sad or disappointed with their life. My preconceived notion is Eeyore, right? But for Matthew, the poor in spirit were those who suffered injustice at the hand of evil and the forces of injustice in our world. And they are blessed not because they are suffering. They are blessed because God is working toward their redemption. Blessed are those who mourn. My preconceived notion is of someone who lost a loved one or is feeling overwhelmed by their current circumstances. But for Matthew, those who mourn are those who grieve because of the world's brokenness. They're the ones who look at the world and they look at evil and they look at injustice and it sincerely grieves them that we live in this kind of world now. They're blessed not because they grieve, but because their hearts are broken But by what breaks God's heart. Blessed are the meek. My preconceived notion is someone who is quiet and withdrawn, someone we might say is humble. For Matthew, the meek are those who are oppressed, oppressed, but still trust God. Those who are oppressed, but still trust God. They are blessed not because they have been oppressed, but because their oppression hasn't destroyed their faith that God will win in the end. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. My preconceived notion is of highly religious people, right, who are involved with all of the church's activity. But for Matthew, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who desire what God's will, God wills. Excuse me. They don't want more or less of what God wills. They want all of what God wills. No more, no less, nothing in addition, just the will of God. They are blessed not because they do all of the right activity, but because their whole will longs for God's whole will. Blessed are the merciful, 
My preconceived notion is someone who doesn't give people the things that they deserve, right? This is how we often think of grace is giving to people things they don't deserve and mercy is not giving them what they deserve. But for Matthew, the, um, uh, the merciful are those who engage in compassionate action in the world. You see, the word merciful that we translate here is the Hebrew word hesed, which means the loving kindness of God. Like when we sing songs about his love never fails, right? His love endures forever. It's God's chesed, his loving kindness for us. It endures forever. And the merciful, they are blessed not because they withhold punishment from people, like, oh, look, at, I'm not doing the thing that I'm supposed to do, but because they give their love generously in the world. Blessed are the pure in heart. My preconceived notion is someone who is innocent, almost naive about the world, right? They're like children, but for Matthew, the pure in heart are those who want God for God's sake. Their longing and desire is to be in relationship with God, not because what God can do for them, not because what God offers them, but just because God is good. And they long and they desire just for God. Blessed are the peacemakers. My preconceived notion is peace sign waving people that talk incessantly about love and tranquility, and they probably listen to Bob Dylan. But for Matthew... Peacemakers are those who enter conflict to bring wholeness in the world. They identify the conflicts in their community and in the world and work toward a new way forward, trying to create a new reality in the world. They're blessed not because they are calm and value the idea of peace, but because they're actively engaged with bringing wholeness and reconciliation within their community. Those who are blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. My, my preconceived notion is of martyrs. And to be honest, you know those people who obnoxiously talk about their faith and then talk about how they're persecuted. Like, oh, I'm not gonna, right? But for Matthew, those who, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake are those who persevere in following Jesus. They're the ones who persevere in following Jesus. They're the ones who carry their crosses daily. They're blessed not because they're persecuted, but because they're committed fully to the way of Jesus. Their circumstances don't shape their commitment. They're all in with Jesus regardless. These, Jesus says, are the ones who are blessed among us. It's amazing. And this is good news for us, church, and it's good news for the world. It's good news to those of you in this room who feel beat down, those who have suffered and are suffering unjustly in the world in your lives, as I've sat and listened to people's stories in this church, you identify with some of these things that are going on here in the Beatitudes. You know what it is to suffer. You know what it is to be poor in spirit. You know what it is to be meek. You know what it is to mourn. And what's good news to you this morning is that you are the ones God draws closest to in the world. You are blessed. You may feel disoriented. You may feel like nothing is working out. You may feel like you're going in all of the wrong directions. You may feel like there's no hope. But our instrumentation, the B attitudes, inform us and declare to you this day that regardless of how you feel, you are blessed by God. And we, as the church, need to be a people who maintain our hope in Jesus. To call those who are struck down and feel absolutely crushed by life, blessed, could easily sound very trite and hollow and empty, right? <laughs> like totally fake. 
But this is our hope as Christians. And it's not trite, and it's not hollow, and it's not empty. Not because I said it isn't, but because through Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus has declared himself Lord. The Father has said to the Son, he has vindicated him. That means everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did is right because of these events in the life of Jesus. He was pursued. Jesus was crushed. Jesus was, in fact, killed, suffered oppression and injustice unlike any of us have ever known. But this did not have the final word in his life. He's raised again, and he is our ascended Lord. This is the gospel. And it's this action that God will vindicate those who suffer, those who who suffer unjustly in the world, that our hope is anchored in. It allows us to, to deal with circumstances and trials with a hopefulness that in the end, God will win and that we are a blessed people. Apart from what God did in Christ, our suffering just is suffering, but our suffering because of Christ makes us blessed. But what if we aren't crushed? (laughs) What if we aren't oppressed? What if we don't suffer unjustly? Can we be blessed by God? This is the question, right? For many of us in the room, as an American Christian who's lived a very middle-class, privileged life, I was talking with somebody earlier this week that I just wrestle with the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus seems to be with people and blessing people that doesn't describe me in the slightest. Can I be blessed? And this, frankly, is very challenging for us as people of great affluence. What does, that mean? What does this mean for us, right? But the kingdom of God invites us to be blessed as we follow Jesus, and here's the key, pursue justice and create peace in our community regardless of what it costs us personally, right? Um, yesterday, I had the, uh, the fortunate opportunity to connect with an old mentor of mine. He was my cross-country coach, and he was a teacher at the, the high school that I had attended, um, and just a phenomenal guy. He and his wife are just phenomenal people. They're the types of people where you're like, man, I, I want to be like them. I want to have their marriage, and I want to have their kids, and I want to have their integrity, and I want to have their character, and I want to have all of these things that they have. And they've invested into Paige and I deeply for many years. A couple years ago, they, they sensed this call of God in their lives to go step out in faith and do something very radical. Now, I'll give you a little bit of background. Tim and Michelle, they are like Michiganders. They come from like a small town in Michigan, and they love the snow. They're like white, just toehead blonde. Like couldn't be like any more what you think of as sort of Midwestern Americans. They came out to California. They lived here for, I don't know, 20 years or so. Both have graduate degrees, very bright people, a lot of security in their jobs and their work. And they felt a couple of years ago just this sense of call to go and do something else with their lives. They have three little ones as well. I think they're 14, 12, and 9 something like that. And they felt this call to go move to New Mexico, which I learned yesterday has two and a half million people in it, which is crazy. That's like not that many people. But they moved and they're both in education and Tim was called to come and serve as a principal for a school on a Native American reservation by the Zuni tribe. 
And so they, have, they moved, they uprooted their family and their kids, and they moved to Zuni, New Mexico, which is, let me t- describe Zuni, New Mexico a little bit to you as I learned about it. Amazon Prime, right, takes five to six days to deliver to Zuni, New Mexico, right? They're like out in the middle of nowhere, to get, right? We're all like, give me my Prime. I want that next day sort of ship in with Prime. Not there. 50% of the kids in the school that he is the principal of have no internet access. We were at the, uh, the mall over here in Thousand Oaks getting uh, lunch together yesterday, and Levi wanted to go up and down the escalator, up and down the escalator, up and down the escalator. Okay, all right, all right. His boys were doing it with him. And I was like, do you guys have escalators in Zuni? And they're like, no, we don't have escalators in Zuni. I was like, where is the closest escalator to where you live? And they're like, well, Gallup is about an hour away. And so, you know what? They don't have anything there. It's two and a half hours away. I mean, they live in the middle of nowhere with impoverished people. Their kids couldn't look any different from the other kids that they go to school with. They're on a Native American reservation, and yet the passion and the, for them and the call of God to them is to enter into a broken community and try and bring restoration and wholeness. And I wish I could tell you, like, everything's going smoothly, and it's great, and they're wonderful, and they're loving it. It's hard. And there's a lot of discouragement, <laughs> And there's a lot of questioning as to whether or not, you know, this is working out the way that they perceived it. But Tim told me yesterday, he said, but you know what we do know, even though it's hard, is that we are in the midst of God's will and we're engaging with kingdom activity and work in our lives. It costs us our comfort. It costs us all of the luxuries that we're used to. It costs our kids friendships. It costs us friendships but we're going to be a part of this kingdom work in the world. That, can, that needs to happen with us, church. And it does happen with us. I hear stories about it. It's Terry going and being a part of a reading program to help kids who struggle academically. It's, it's Becky and her engagement with Step Up Ventura that helps families of, who, who are homeless and have kids and just need some childcare to help them so they could get their education and jobs. These things happen in our community, but they have to be central to what we do as a church if we are going to be the blessed people of God who enter into the kingdom of God. This has to define our following of Jesus. We'll end on this. Preachers and teachers often refer to the kingdom of God as this upside-down kingdom, right? And the image of being upside down is a way of highlighting how different the values of the kingdom of God are when compared to the values of the kingdoms of this world. And the Beatitudes sort of demonstrate and highlight this very point. But I want to end with it. This is very subtle, but I think it's important for us to nuance something. Jesus' kingdom is not upside down. Jesus' kingdom is right side up. And it's the values of the world in which we live that are upside down. The kingdom of God is the way of life that we are called and designed to live as followers of Jesus. It's a participation with God towards his vision for the world. And it's the values of our world that distort us and flip us upside down. And we think that we're flying straight because we're doing all the right things. We got all the right promotions, got all the right jobs, got the right house, got the right everything. And we don't have any clue that we're flying in the wrong direction. 
we're distorted. There are times we don't even know that we're upside down. We don't know where the right is or the left or anything. And the kingdom of God is an invitation to right side up kind of living in the world. We don't always do this, or I don't always do this. But I've invited Garrett to come play a song for us to close our time together. The song offers us the opportunity to reflect on what Jesus says here in the Beatitudes. If you feel broken, crushed, grieved this morning, I invite you to offer hopeful prayers to God that you might persevere. You can pray where you're sitting. You can come to the altar and pray. Pray wherever you want. Pray at home when you get home. But know this, that God sees you, that God hears you, and God blesses you this day. For those who are not in that spot, I pray, my prayer has been for you all week, that you would hear the lyrics to this song and hear the words of Jesus that he declares to us in the Beatitudes and pray that God would open your eyes to see how you might engage in this kind of work in our world today. Who are those in our church we need to be merciful to? What are the situations in our community where we need to bring peace? How might God change your heart to desire and see that this is his world? God, we thank you that you give us new eyes to live in new ways. We want to be the people who follow you <laughs> and not our own selves. Just give us the grace we need to live transformed lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Blessed are the ones who do not bury all the broken pieces of their hearts. Blessed are the tears of all the weary, pouring like a sky of falling stars. Blessed are the wounded ones in mourning, brave enough to show the Lord their scars. Blessed are the hurts that go not hidden, open to the healing touch of God. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. 
Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Blessed are the ones who walk in kindness. Even in the face of great abuse. Blessed are the deeds that go unnoticed. Serving with unguarded gratitude. Blessed are the ones who fight for justice. Longing for the coming day of peace. Blessed is the soul that thirsts for righteousness. Welcoming the last, the lost, the least. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. suffer violence and still have strength to love their enemies. Blessed is the faith of all who persevere. Though they fall, they never taste defeat. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. 
stand church and receive this blessing as we go as you go in the way of Jesus may you find yourself blessed this week church may you discover the treasure that is the kingdom of God as you follow Jesus in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen Amen have a great week